0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees, 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. They haven't won a World Series in a century or so? So what? They're here. Every April, they're here. A 105 or a 7 of 5, there is a game. If it gets rained out, guess what? They make it up to you. Does anyone else in your life do that? It's time for Hit and Run. Don't
1: try to strike everybody out. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascists. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. Cubs and White Sox conversation every Sunday morning till Cubs' first pitch. Any bet against my Sox this series is a sucker bet. Of course, I'm not a gambling man.
0: Hosted by Matt Spiegel. I want the absolute truth here. Are you 100%? Yeah, what a- about something like that? You better. You want to make this team. Connecting with you, the baseball fanatic. There's no crying in baseball. No crying.
1: Hit and run on Sports Radio 670 The Score, 670thescore.com, and the Radio.com app.
0: Time now for Twib Notes from around the American League. All right, that's a bad Mel Allen. I should do a better Mel Allen. As we uh, let the This Week in Baseball theme bring us in once again to hit and run on 670 the score. We use the uh, This Week in Baseball opening theme to open, and we use the This Week in Baseball closing theme to close. We are daring their lawyers to find us and seek us out. Last week we set the over-under, I believe, at three and a half weeks until we um, hear something from them. I took the under. Or did I take the under? What do we do, Eli? I forget, but... The main thing is it was stock music to begin with. All right. If you've ever been in the business, some stuff is you're just allowed to use. So maybe it's fine. Maybe it's fine now. Does everybody remember this week in baseball? By the way, as I talk about it, is there a portion of my audience that's like, what the hell are you talking about? Spiegel? Possibly. Look it up, folks. It was awesome. And I actually was an intern there for a couple summers. After my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. But that's not why you called. You don't care about my internship history. You're a baseball fan, and so am I. And here we are to talk baseball with you every Sunday morning. The phone lines are open. Always, our number one is pretty much going to be you and me talking Cubs and talking Sox based on the events of yesterday, the non event of today, and the state of things here in the middle. Of uh of the beginning of the season, the middle of the season's first month. Cubs game has been postponed. There is no makeup date as of yet. It's too bad. Last night I'm um, playing a little a little stub hub and seat geek roulette, there were eighty dollar tickets last night in the first row behind the dugout. Eighty dollar tickets. So my wife bought two of them, right? Okay. And we're thinking, all right, maybe there's gonna be a game and we'll go and it'll be awful and it'll be cold. Um, or they'll cancel the game and then we get those tickets for whatever game is made up. And that's what we did. So has she figured out some brilliant secondary market, market inefficiency? secondary market inefficiency is what it is. Has she figured that out? I don't know. Cause maybe the sales going to get reversed. I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen here, but I think she might be the Billy bean of StubHub and SeatGeek. geek is what I'm saying. She might have just discovered something incredible. Chris Kampka is going to join us at 9:45, as he always does, the stats guru. And uh, inquisitive mind from NBC Sports Chicago. We call it Cam Connections. We do it every week about 9.45 or so. Jim Deshays is my guest co-host today. Really looking forward to talking to J.D. This show was originally going to be at Smoke Daddy, right across from the ballpark. And J.D. was going to come by. and We were going to sit down and look deeply into each other's eyes and discuss baseball things. Now uh, we're still deciding. He may come over here. We may have him on the phone. Either way, it's okay. Because the ballgame's canceled. He doesn't have to go to the ballpark. And I, we're not the ballpark because the entire remote got canceled. Because it's snowing. It's snowing in the middle of April. It's going to be 35 and snowy. It's disgusting. It's gross. Scott Miller will join us in the 11 o'clock hour to talk baseball. Scott's been everywhere writing for everybody for a long long time and knows his stuff. It is always a fun conversation. White Sox get shut out at Yankee Stadium. The story From the White Sox perspective was Ivan Nova being terrific in his return to Yankee Stadium. The former Yankee, 93 pitches. Could have leaned on him a little more. Seems to be a trend in this town sometimes. The leaning, the manager's not doing the leaning on said starters. So anyway, but Ivan Nova was terrific. Um, some good defense to watch. I enjoyed watching Tim Anderson play some defense. Enjoy, enjoyed watching Yohan Mankata play some defense. Good for CC Sabathia. Five shutout innings in his first start of his final year as a Yankee. His final year in an unbelievable career, which is an even better career than perhaps you uh, you realize. Um, where he ranks on some of the all-time leader lists, like for strikeouts, it's ridiculous how high CC Sabathia is uh, on that strikeout list. Career, all-time in the history of MLB. But anyway, so the the White Sox get shut out. Um, and, and Eloy Jimenez does not build upon the tremendous two-home run game from Friday night, which clearly means he's a bust. I got that, by the way, on Twitter. I love that. When people say stuff like that, hey, you going to talk about Jimenez taking a step back? No wonder you Chicago guys, you praise local hitters too much. It's baseball, sir. There are 162 games. A good one is often followed by a bad one. You're going to have several bad ones during the course of a year. All right, but I did that guy didn't deserve my attention. And yet here I am giving it to him on the radio. Unbelievable. Text us at 67011 if you want to hop in. Yes, he's, CeCe Sabathia, 17th all-time in strikeouts. And look where he is among lefties. You got that list up? Count the lefties. I think he's like 7th or 8th among all lefties, or is it even higher than that? He's 3rd. He's 3rd. Thir- why, because Cy Young, Randy Johnson? Right, and Carlton as well. Oh, so 4th. So right. Cy Young was lefty, right? It's he doesn't, they don't have him listed as a lefty. Maybe he's not a lefty, and I've just uh, maybe the, the pictures in the books of my youth were were reversed, or I just uh, yeah, I, I gave him lefty. You know what was lefty? Lefty Grove was a lefty, also, Lefty Gomez. Those guys were lefties. Steve Carlton, whose nickname was Lefty, he was also a lefty, but not Cy Young. Come on, Spiegel, what's wrong with you? All right, so anyway, Steve Carlton and Randy Johnson are the only two left handers above CeCe Sabathia in the all time strikeout list. Is that amazing or what? Yeah, it is. Um, so anyway, here we are, spraying to all fields as we do. 670, the score is where you are. Okay. Right, look, a lot of weird things happened yesterday to try and steal your focus from that Cubs loss. We'll get to the things that tried to steal your focus because they're interesting, the, some of those things that happened yesterday. But let's not lose sight of what the main story is. Seven walks by the bullpen is the main story. Okay? After the horrific start to the season came 18 and two-thirds innings of scoreless work by the bullpen. And then yesterday, Brad Brock combusted on the mound, caught himself on fire, and Randy Rosario could not douse the flame when he came in. And five of those seven walks ended up mattering, including the one walk that Kinsler gave up later on. Kyle Ryan got away with two walks in the ninth that didn't end up mattering. But anyway... Seven walks by the pen, five that mattered, and Kyle Hendricks was bumpy early with fastball command issues, which are very common for Kyle Hendricks and when he does not have pinpoint command of the fastball, things are in uh, are in danger of really going poorly for kyle we 've seen it a lot towards the beginnings of games uh, we 've seen it a lot frankly, in the beginnings of seasons, last couple of seasons since two thousand sixteen. And then he settles down a little bit later in the game and a little bit later in the season. But why the hell was he pulled after 87 pitches yesterday? What is that about Joe? And I wondered it at the time. It was first guessing at the time. And, and I, if it was commented on after the game, if Joe explained and Kyle said, oh, this is great, then I missed it. And we can talk to Jim Deschays, but I haven't seen it. I have not seen the quotes anywhere. 87 pitches. He was bumpy early, as I mentioned. But in the third inning, three up, three down. In the fifth inning, three up, three down for Kyle Hendricks. In the fourth, there was a hit and a single in there. Didn't give up a run, no damage. But three up, three down, two of those last three innings. And just because the bullpen has been decent and is rested after great starts from Quintana and Cole Hamels doesn't mean you have to go to the bullpen. You know what Hendricks does? He settles in. We have seen this. Over and over and over, including Game 7 of the World Series when he was pulled before he needed to be, and it led to disarray in the bullpen. My God, let the man pitch, especially after two days of watching Quintana and Hamels pitch. It's okay. 87 ain't nothing. I wanted to see more of him. But anyway, Brad Brock comes in, can't find the plate. He walks a run in, uh, and He walks, and Rosario walks a run in and then Kinsler gives up a run later ugly and it ends up being 6-5. So th- those are the stories. The pitching is in in my mind the the Joe decision and uh and, and and all that. Those are the stories. But oh the distractions are fun, aren't they? The distractions are fun. Kyle Schwarber's final strikeout. I think that's a bad call in my opinion by the third base umpire. But, boy, to even make it that close on a pitch in the dirt, you'd like to see a little more discipline. This coming off with a brutal at-bat and strikeout by Wilson Contreras. Second and third with one out. Situational hitting. Also struck out earlier in the game with the bases loaded. Contreras, yes. And Schwarber struck out in the eighth and the ninth. So he's pissed off and probably embarrassed that he swung at a pitch that low. And potentially correct that the call was missed. And afterwards, they talked about, boy, Joe said, is there a way? Forget the robot strike zones. Can we get something electronic to see if that's actually a swing or not? It's a judgment call in the moment. And I know there was a pitch earlier in the at-bat. I think the first pitch of the at-bat, there was a check swing that was called a ball. So Schwarber thought it was going to be a little more consistent. Or thought he was going to get away with it. Either way. So that's one distraction. Schwarber's final K and his fury and then Javier Baez in pass protection. I need a scouting report of Javier Baez as a pass blocker because Baez got in front of Schwarber and kept him from demolishing the umpire. So I asked Dan Durkin of The Athletic to break it down for me. This is a true story. And Dan Durkin just replied to me that Javier Baez needs to sink his hips more when delivering his punch, tighten that core, keep the elbows in, strike with his thumbs up, aimed at his opponent's chest, this being Kyle Schwarber. Needs a better kick slide to re-anchor his feet when losing leverage to his side. Thank you very much for that, Dan Durkin. All I saw was a guy in Javi Baez who turned sideways. You're trying to hold Schwarber back on the side. Get in front of your guy, you know? You really think you could stop, you know, Cortez Kennedy and John Randall? You're going to stop these guys? You're going to hold back? Akeem Hicks, if you're not fully in front of him, what does it say that I went to Cortez Kennedy and John Randall as my first, you know, off, off the top of my head pass rusher, interior pass rusher reference points? Then finally I get to Akeem Hicks. Modernize it, Spiegel. But anyway, there you go. Javier Baez, decent pass protection. That certainly would have been flagged for holding. Other distractions from yesterday. The fan interference issues. Twice. One, you could argue, helped the Cubs. I think you could definitely argue that helped the Cubs. And one, potentially hurt the Cubs. Although the guy that made the catch um, and then apologized to David Bodie need not apologize, in my opinion. He was in his rightful space, just right there. And Bodie gave up on that ball, folks. David Bodie gave up on that ball. So, But anyway, it's just another shiny distraction. What's more interesting to me is after the, uh, the, the, the fan interference that was not called, it also was not reviewed because, I mean, Brad Ausmus is saying, by the way, that their replay phone went down and that they were unable to get word that they should have challenged it from above. So Ausmus didn't think about it. And you don't, it's the ninth inning. You don't need to, even if you don't have a challenge, you can just say, hey, take a look at that. But Ausmus didn't think to do it. And this is Brad Osmus afterwards, if you missed it. He said, apparently, unfortunately, our replay phone went down. They couldn't get a hold of us. This is the uh, coaches upstairs. I don't know if, I, if it would have been overturned for fan interference, but it was certainly something we would have challenged. Their replay coordinator is a guy named Matt Martin. Matt Martin tried to call four times, and it didn't work. By the time he got, us, got to us, the 30 seconds were gone. And this is what's interesting. Goodwin, the left fielder, added this. That's a pretty big coincidence. Comma, but what are you going to do? That is a flat-out accusation of New England Patriots-style sabotage, isn't it? That is is flat-out saying they made sure the phones didn't work. (laughs) Come on. Come on, man. Really? I don't think the Cubs are doing that. I don't think so. Either way, it helped them. But when it comes down to it, Look, there's other distractions. Javier Baez with the three doubles, the third of which came on one of the most risky base running plays of his career. And that's saying something. I'm serious. You represent the potential tying run and you are putting yourself in danger. I know it would only be the second out. And it's second base and not third base. You're getting yourself in a scoring position. It was ballsy as hell to get there. But you represent the potential tying run. If you get thrown out of the base paths in the ninth inning and you're on base already, I know, you want to stay away from the double play. And it was great that it worked, believe me. But that is, that is some freaky, risky stuff. But that's, that's Javi, right? That's what he does. That's what he does, and that's what makes it so much fun. Javier Baez runs the bases like I used to in um, in television and other video game versions of baseball. Force your opponent to throw to the right base. They probably are not good enough to do so, at least early on in their video game career. Go ahead, force them to do it. They probably won't. So there's all those distractions, but the main stories are the seven walks by the bullpen and Joe pulling Kyle Hendricks after 87 pitches, in my opinion. So here we are. Cubs at 5-9. and six seventy. the score is where you are. It is hit and run. It is me, Matt Spiegel. We'll talk to Chris Kampka a little bit later on this hour for Camp Connections. He takes a look at interesting uh, statistical oddities that are super fun with the White Sox and the Cubs. We'll get one from each side of town. Your phone calls are wanted and desired right now. At 312-644-6767. Any of the issues that I brought up there uh, regarding the Cub game. um, Any White Sox stuff that you'd like to talk about with them in New York. And uh, 670-11 is how you can text us. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Spiegel 670. Cubs have been postponed today. Nick Shepkowski and Mark Grody will be here at noon. So hit and run is underway right now and it goes through noon right here on 670 the score this hour of hit and run being brought to you by menards save big money at menards we'll be right back keep it here hey man sun's shining and-
1: love the fight love how we came back um we, you know we had a fight we just walked too many guys uh, from the pitching perspective uh, had opportunity late really really happy about that we we definitely Uh, we're uh, mentally involved for nine innings, and I love that part of it. Um, You know, Kyle was not that good today in our bullpen in general. We just walked too many guys. We just walked too many folks, and that put too many guys up to the plate for them.
0: Uh, But the battle was good. Man, Kyle was not that good today. (laughs) No, he wasn't early. I thought he settled in okay. I thought you could have got some more out of him. No need to use your bullpen just because they've been rested. That's always been one of the things that drives me nuts. Hey, it's the 8th inning. Time for the 8th inning, guy. Not that Joe always does that, but there, for years, have been managers, and you know them, who have just been push-button guys. Like, oh, 7th inning, time for me to go to my 7th inning, guy. Regardless of whether your starter was rolling, regardless of whether the matchup made sense. I mean, people are better now, and they're smarter now. But still, as an overall concept, just because you have a bullpen and they haven't thrown that much doesn't mean you got to use them. Let your starter go deeper! Loved seeing Hamels and Quintana go as much as they did on Thursday and Friday. It's hit and run on 670, the score. (laughs) 670, the score. Uh, This portion of the show is brought to you by the BMW Championship at Medina Country Club, August 13th through August 18th, 2019. Visit bmwchampionship.com. Because of weather concerns, they got rolling at Augusta early, and they have threesomes. Which uh, I'm sure Tiger is into in many, many different ways. So Tiger's out there with two other golfers, both young golfers who grew up idolizing him. And Tiger's out there with Molinari and one other Jamoke, And then uh, Brooks Kepka's out there. They're all rolling now. No no late nights. No sleeping in for the Tiger's leaders. one back of Molinari right now. Okay. And, uh, but, but he's on in that first, in that final threesome, though, right? I mean, you'd think it's his final threesome after everything that he's been through and all the trouble that it caused in his life, but I don't know. (laughs) Who am I? Who am I to judge anybody, Eli? I'm no one. So the Masters is rolling. There is no uh, Cubs baseball today. It has been postponed. Nick Shepkowski and Mark Grody will join you at noon. Me, Matt Spiegel, here with you. Before then, Jim Deshays will be my guest co-host at 10 o'clock. Looking forward to talking to J.D. This is Buzz in Buffalo Grove on 670 The Score. Hello, Buzz. Hey,
1: Spiegel. So. good news about those uh tickets your wife got i think i had tickets for today also we were hoping to see trout and yeah of course it turns out he wasn't in town but the uh the angels are in town in first weekend of september to play the white Sox. the same weekend the cubs are up in milwaukee conceivable we have a Daytime game at Wrigley, and then uh, they road trip back up to Milwaukee. How's that sound? Uh,
0: it, is there an off day for the Cubs in there? I have to call. No, the...
1: no, they just—it's just that they're playing the Brewers in, in, in night games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, the Angels are in Chicago playing night games against the White Sox at the same time. Well, it's always
0: a hassle when it is when it is a uh, a, a a team. From the West Coast, that only makes one trip in. Um, Thank you for the call, Buzz. Check out the Angels' schedule, because the Cubs have an off day on the 4th of September, right before that Milwaukee series. His idea of the Cubs playing a day game at Wrigley, then hopping a bus and going up to Milwaukee to play at night. No, that's not going to fly, nor is a split-squad game like it would be for spring training. But where are the Angels on the 4th of September? In Oakland. In Oakland, playing on the 4th. Correct. And then they are in Chicago to play the White Sox that following weekend. And I would assume that's the only time that the Angels are back in Chicago to play either team. So this, this could be tricky. You could end up looking for a day when the Cubs are, have, have an off day on a West Coast trip and the Angels happen to be home. You're looking for a mutual off day. Or this could be one of those games that get pushed gets pushed to the if we have to play it, we'll play it category at the end of the year. This is why they waited until this morning to bang it because they were praying and hoping they could find a way to get it in. But you saw Brad Ausmus yesterday saying, look, we don't want to burn a starting pitcher and sit around the ballpark all day. That would not be ideal. And they, they are not going to force them to do that, because it's snowing, and it's going to snow all day in the middle of baseball season. I like your creativity, Buzz. You can imagine. All right, let's do a 10 a.m. game. A 10 a.m. game at Wrigley on uh, on Friday morning, and then... And then the Cubs can go up to Milwaukee to play a 7-10 that night in Milwaukee. And the White Sox can go catch a nap and go catch a tween games nap and then go down to the south side. Not going to happen. This is Gerald and Maywood on 670 The Score. Hello, Gerald. Hey, how's it going? Great. Uh, you
1: know, nobody can get away with walking seven and four innings. But you, you look at this Cubs pitching staff, nobody really has plus stuff. They They have to throw strikes. You know, they're going to give up some home runs here or there because they really don't have much of an ability to make mistakes, but they don't really have plus stuff on that staff.
0: I would say that they have there's guys that have plus stuff, but what they don't have is serious swing and miss power stuff that that. And I think that's what you're saying. Right, Gerald? Right. they they and and the numbers bear that out. They, I went over them a lot last week. The contact rate, the swinging strike rate, the hard contact rate, stuff, the hard contact rate, stuff like that. In a, in a swing and miss league, they do not have guys like that. They need Morrow to come back. He will inst- give them that guy at the back end of the bullpen. And stroke when he's rolling, can 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 be better. But uh, no. So so they so you're saying they need to throw strikes. Yeah, because they they. They can't give
1: up all the extra base runners they They can't get away with that, but like you said they're they're above the league average in hard contact. Some of that hard contact is going to leave the yard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: this This team is going to give up more home runs than average. And, you know, I mean, Hamels gave up a moonshot for the one run he gave up in eight innings, but the bases were empty. He wasn't walking people all over the place.
0: Absolutely. No, I thought Hamels and Quintana did brilliant jobs, and Hamels following Quintana made a lot of sense. I spoke about this yesterday a little bit on Inside the Clubhouse, and thanks for the call, Gerald. Those guys both used all their pitches. Quintana used 13 changeups on Thursday night. Uh, he last year, he threw 6% change ups, the lowest percentage of his career. He talked in spring training about needing to use it more. And he did so on Thursday night, he had all his pitches rolling. So by the time the third time through the lineup came, Quintana was using everything. And which is what he did in his best White Sox years, he threw the change up a 12% one year for the White Sox. 10% was another 9% was another 6% last year was not going to work. He's not, his stuff is not strong enough. It is not overpowering enough to make him a two pitch pitcher. So, and then Hamels yesterday or on Saturday or on Friday, I should say Hamels on Friday threw 24 change-ups out of 106 pitches. And in his two starts combined before that, he'd thrown 27 change-ups. So He followed Quintana in doing something that seems simple, but sometimes is forgotten, which is use all your stuff, execute, use all your variety. It's what they want you, Darvish, to do more. If you heard Theo Epstein with me and Danny Parkins on Thursday, he was talking about how he wants you, Darvish, to use more of the range of his pitches. You, Darvish, can get very dependent on uh, on fastball and whichever breaking pitch he feels good about. But use more, use more. So you keep them, uh, keep them off base. So uh, texture says, uh, how's Carl Edwards doing in the minors? Because that's a guy with swing and miss stuff when he's rolling. I don't know. And I don't want him to do well. <laughs> see, that's a terrible thing to say. What I mean is I can't imagine myself ever trusting him again in a big moment in that bullpen. I, it's hard for me to see. Let me give you an example. Let's say, let's play it out. Let's let it play out. Carl Edwards throws very well in the minors. Refines his mechanics. Refines his consistency. Comes up, comes back up, and is really good for a month and a half. Has one or two bumpy outings in August. Um, Walks a few guys in one outing in September that scares you a little. Then comes the playoffs. How are you feeling about Carl Edwards when it's the seventh inning or the eighth inning of a huge game? I'll tell you right now, I'm still not feeling good. It's the guy is just too erratic in terms of knowing and controlling his own delivery, repeatable delivery, equaling control, equaling getting the most out of your stuff. He just does not have that. Whether it's him being flighty, whether it is a concentration issue, whether it is um, physically, he's too wiry, and it just something doesn't flow. It is incredibly difficult at the highest level to repeat your delivery over and over and over again, and all of them, all of them, have to do that. And uh, Carl can't, so I don't, I don't think I'm gonna, I'm gonna be trusting that kind of no matter what happens. Interesting text here at six seventy eleven. I wonder if if you guys agree. Just talking about listening to how Joe Madden talks about Kyle Hendricks. It seems the way Joe handles and talks about Kyle that he doesn't really seem to like him as a player. Hey, you're not the first one to come to that sort of uh, sort of assessment. Kyle wasn't very good today, <laughs> huh? And all the different times that Kyle's been been pulled early, there's something's something's has seemed up Joe's craw about Kyle for a long time. I agree with that. This is Mark in Michigan City on 670 The Score. Actually, Mark, hang on. The bottom of the hour was brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. The Chicago Wolves have clinched their third straight division title. Be there today at 4 for the last regular season home game. First 1,000 kids receive a free admission to Raging Waves Water Park. For tickets or playoff info, visit chicagowolves.com. What do you say, Mark? What's going on?
2: Hey, Matt. How you doing? Very good. Good talking with you. You know, I I keep hating uh, to the a dead horse with the White Sox. But you know, Art Garfine was talking to Rick Hahn two weeks ago and he made the quote out there that social media might interfere with the Maddie Machado deal, which is a bunch of garbage and interference. I think he's ran for Reinstorm. It came out in Forbes magazine, the White Sox had a net income last year, seventy seven million dollars. You could have put Machado one year salary, thirty two million, you'd still have forty five million. You lost almost a hundred games. Your your average attendance, I think, was fourteen thousand. You'd be rolling in the dough, even for a 10-year deal. That's all the White Sox had to do is answer uh, San Diego's deal. They would have had him. There would have been no, a problem with nothing, and it's just so ridiculous. And I remember when uh, San Diego signed him, you were upset. Uh, even uh, Parkins was upset because that would have been great to have him come to town, just to be able to
0: cover that. Oh, yeah, Oh, Mark, thanks, thanks for the call. And, look, I understand if you're still in that headspace. Um, I lived in that headspace for a while because the saddest part of all of this, remember, is that they wanted him. They legitimately wanted him. This was no dog and pony show. This was no pretend we're interested for the fans. They went ahead and did the recruiting pitches at the highest order. They offered him a lot of money. They went and signed his brother-in-law, who he loves. They went and signed John Jay, who he loves, they they really wanted him. They just drew an arbitrary financial line in the sand between 250 and $300 million. And he got exactly what he wanted. And if the Sox had offered him exactly what he wanted a month prior to that, I think he would have been a Chicago White Sox. I really do. If they had just said, okay, yes. And uh, in addition to everything else we're doing, here's your 300 I, I mean, I firmly believe that, that, that all, everything they did with the recruiting and the familial stuff was supposed to it could have made the difference all things being equal they wanted it to make the difference without all things being equal they wanted to get him at their price as small as a concession as it may seem that last 50 million it's guaranteed mailbox money every two weeks but look we've talked about this we've dealt with this we've processed this except for mark in michigan city who has not processed it but i understand but move on try to move forward They have that money still. They'll try to spend it on somebody. If Anthony Rendon doesn't sign before the years end in Washington, he will be the absurd prize of next year's free agent market. And he's off to a great, great, great start. It's hard to imagine the Nationals letting him get away, but they let Bryce Harper get away. This is Ted in Alexandria, Virginia or Washington. I can't see the state. Ted, welcome in. It's, it's
2: pretty close. We're in Virginia. Uh, right. Three things, speaks yeah. first. The uh, Carl Edwards that struck out Trout and Pujols back to back. That guy is gone. We're never seeing that guy. I will never trust
0: him again. Right. I, I uh, can't. I can't imagine ever, ever feeling that good. And thank you to the texture who looked it up. Two and a third innings, three K, no walk, no runs for Carl Edwards in Iowa so far. But anyway,
2: yeah. And uh, as far as Madden goes with Hendricks, I'll never trust Madden with Hendricks because he clearly doesn't understand that Hendricks is a very good pitcher. And the third thing is, uh-huh. Schwarber in the clutch is awful. I don't care that that pitch was a, 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 a check swing yesterday. You can't swing He yet. should have never been swinging at that pitch. And yeah. he's been terrible in the clutch. And I'm a huge Schwarber fan. I've been trying to defend the guy for two years, but I give up on him as well.
0: Wow. Yeah. You know, when do you give up on these guys? I... I have not given up on Schwarber, and in fact, earlier in the year, I thought he looked terrific. He's better when things are simplified, and as, again, this is something that we spoke about um, with Theo and something that's been out there. Kyle is not a guy who you want to overwhelm with a ton of information about swing plane, about sequence, about how guys are attacking him, about all sorts of different things. It can overwhelm him. And he said so. And that's fine. It's not calling a guy stupid. It's just like it depends on who you are and, and how you process information. Doesn't work for Kyle. Seaball hit ball. Simple. Clean swing. And he had looked really good to start the year. But now he's 2 for 24. And, you know, he was 2 for 23 at that point, having struck out in the 8th. Pressure on in a massive, massive way. And he swung at that absolute trash in the dirt. I know it's hard. Boy, baseball's hard. But that's rough. Although I'm not there to give up on Schwarber. I'm dangerously close. I'm dangerously close to giving up on Albert Almora. I, 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 I know so many have been pining for him to have his chance. He has been handed his chance on a silver platter this year. Ian Happ is not there. Here is your playing time. Here is your playing time against righties. Here is your opportunity. Here was your entire offseason that you spent tweaking the approach, feeling great about it. Here's the spring training when we heard so much about how you were going to take it, be able to take it to that next level. And then here you are hitting absolutely everything on the ground, leading the world in ground ball rate. I, I like Albert as a, as a guy a lot. I think he'd be a very useful fifth outfielder, maybe fourth outfielder. But in terms of full-on center fielder slash leadoff guy, no, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing it 670 the score is where you are callers hang on 312 644 bottom of the hour brought to you by subway subway restaurants feature a different six inch sub for 399 every day subway make it what you want at participating restaurants additional charge for extras plus applicable tax no additional discounts or coupons may be applied Six seventy eleven. if you want to get in via text And uh, we'll talk to Chris Kamka, do Camp Connections, when we come back. Jim Deshaies is at the top of the hour on Hit and Run here on The Score. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Good morning to you. I love following at C. Campka on the Twitters, and maybe you do too. He is Christopher Kamka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, and he joins us every week on Hit and Run to tell us what he has found numerically the most interesting with both the Cubs and the White Sox this week. What's up, Chris? Hey,
1: man, I guess that's two weeks in a row I officially have new music now.
0: You do have theme music. This is true. Um, that's Connection um, by the stereo MCs. Talk again. I think your phone might sound bad. Give me another shot.
1: Okay. How's this? Any Her- better?
0: Nope. That's horrific. Hang on, Chris. We're going to hang up and call you back because you sound distorted, and we just can't have that. It sounds like a, like a muddled AM radio broadcast, and we've, we've all been there, and we don't listen to those. That's why we tune in digitally at 670thescore.com slash listen. Um, it is why we use the Radio.com app to listen to Hit and Run. That's also where you can download the podcast of Hit and Run uh, within just a few hours of the show. If you missed it, if you missed last week when Ryan Dempster was the guest co-host, you can find that over there. Also the podcast available at iTunes as well. And they've got new fancy new art. I've got like a picture of me grinning with my, uh, with my Chicago flag baseball shirt on. And, and we're going to have a different guest co-host every week going to be a lot of fun i promise by the way did you know that on this date in 1925 the first regular season cubs game was broadcast on the radio speaking of radio broadcast that's today 1925 Thirty-eight thousand people at wrigley for a season opener cubs beat the pirates yes the pirates eight to two In 1925, that was the first regular season Cubs game on the radio. Cubs games are right here on 670, the score, but not today because they are snowed out. Let's reestablish with Chris Kamka. What do you say, sir? I'm back. Oh, it's delightful. And yes, you have theme music. Speak to me on uh, on the Cubs and or the White Sox this week. What got you going uh, numerically in your inquisitive mind?
1: Well, okay, let's start with the White Sox. And, um, well, yesterday they held the one hit. So let's go back another day. Eloy Mania, let's let's cover that a little bit. Well, that is, the, um,
0: that is the main story of the week. Both of those home runs on fastballs and the easy power with which uh, he, he generates just absolute bombs. Very comfortable swing. Go ahead, Chris.
1: Yeah, so his first two major league home runs averaged 435 and a half feet. Okay. Which is 100 and a hundred and a half feet more than the home run Aaron Judge hit yesterday. So how about that? Well, um. But there's a lot of cool White Sox nuggets here. I mean, he had his first two career home runs in the same game. So the last White Sox player to do that was Jose Abreu Hmm. um, back in 2014 at Coors Field. Um, But taking him a step further, he's the first visiting player to hit two home runs, his first two career home runs in the same game at Yankee Stadium, new or old. Since Manny Ramirez on huh. September 3rd, 1993.
0: Wow. Well, young Manny of the Cleveland Indians uh, who yeah. was born and raised, or, or, or maybe not born, but raised in New York. So yeah. I, think, I think, yeah, so, so there was, that was a story in and of itself was that this New York kid that the Yankees didn't have.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I mean think about it. When, when you always talk about the intimidation of coming into New York and playing there, well, he, this is huh. a giant stage and he came through big time. Wow. Yeah, that's so that a, was great to see. Very cool. He's one of the youngest White Sox players ever with a multi-homer game. Um, there's only five, or let's see here, one, two, four White Sox players that have hit a multi-homer game younger than Jimenez. Hmm. So the most recent being Harold Baines in 1980. Huh. So there's some names that come up already. And he's not just hitting home runs. He's got six multi-hit games already. In his first twelve career major league games, and no White Sox player has done that since nineteen ninety eight. Wow! So there's stuff here.
0: Yeah, it's uh, this. What makes Eloy so fun is the fact that he doesn't swing and miss a ton as compared to other sluggers of his stature. And you've already seen that before the power came; it was already getting some 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 singles. Uh, here and there and making contact. So there is a thought that this will unleash the floodgates. All right. All right switch. I do, Go ahead.
1: I, I do love seeing that, though. I love him taking those singles early on.
0: Yes. Yeah, there's, uh, there's absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong with it. And then when you get pitches you can drive, then the confidence is there. And boom, that was fun. Also, I realized he had 25 people, family and friends there on Friday night, including his parents, who were there to watch those first two home runs. So that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it is. It's awesome when you can get the family there to see it.
0: All right, switch sides of town for me, sir.
1: Okay, so the Cubs pitching was a train wreck early on. Well, since they got to Wrigley Field, that's a two ERA in five games now. Up from you know That's way down from 7.51 on the road in the first nine games. It's a very positive development, and I didn't think that pitching could possibly be that bad the whole year round. I personally think the hitting is a little more... It's something that I think can be a little more sustainable, the hitting. So, I mean, you'll get the pitching eventually. They'll turn it around. But a couple more notes on that. Mm -hmm. So, the top two strikeout performances this season by a Cubs pitcher are both by Jose Quintana. He had 11 in a start on Friday. But the second most strikeouts in the game by a Cubs this season is Quintana in relief with eight strikeouts. On March 30th. <laughs> so the top two are Quintana in two different, completely different roles. He's one of four Cubs with a four or eight strikeout start and an eight strikeout relief appearance in the same season <laughs> in the last 100 years.
0: <laughs> That's fun. So four different guys in the last 100 years have struck out eight or more in both the relief appearance and a start.
1: Yeah, for the Cubs in <laughs> a single season. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And one little note on Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, he's struggled so far this year. But he has extended his streak to 6,631 consecutive pitches without a wild pitch. Now that's including postseason. So he's doing his thing there. He'll come around. He's just been hit really, really hard. Way too many hits per innings pitch, and I don't think that's a sustainable thing at all. I think you'll see him come around. As the season goes around.
0: Hmm. Thank you, Chris. It's good stuff. I uh, six thousand plus without a wild pitch. Now I'm wondering, and maybe you don't know what, what is what, what's the, what is the most total number of pitches or the most innings without a wild pitch by anybody in baseball history?
1: Uh, that's a good question. We'll have to dig in and see if we can find that by the time he finally throws a wild pitch.
0: Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's... but man, I've got. Yes.
1: One little more nugget here, you... and it's not pitching related, but it's a Cub note, right? So, if you were to take the 47 players this year with four or more home runs, there's only three of them that can say they have twice as many walks as strikeouts.
0: So, 37 hitters with four, four or more home 47 hitters with four or more home runs, mm-hmm. and only three of them have three of them
1: have twice as many walks as strikeouts this year.
0: Wow, um is Jason Hayward one of them?
1: Yes, he is. How about it? 8 eight walks to four strikeouts four home runs. The other two are Michael Franco with 11 to 4 and Mike Trout with 13 to 4. Wow. I mean, who would have imagined that we'd be running off that list at this time?
0: That that is awesome. That's a great one. I like that. So guys who have hit for power so far a little bit and have walked more than twice the number of times they have struck out. Michael Franco, Mike Trout. And Jason Hayward. Chris, you're the best, man. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. You got it. It's Chris Kampka of NBC Sports Chicago. Um, yeah, Hayward, man. I, I was looking yesterday at the top guys in OPS, and as of yesterday morning, there were three Chicago players in the top 15 in OPS. Wilson Contreras, Tim Anderson, and Jason Hayward in all of baseball in OPS. Hayward yesterday with a very hard deep hit to the left center field gap as well. So it's, it's pretty tremendous to see him rolling. We'll talk some Cubs. We'll talk some baseball. We'll talk some uh, history of the man's career as well with our guest go-host, Mr. Jim Deschays. Do you know that he played with, at different times, Gary Sheffield, Fred McGriff, Tony Gwynn, Dave Winfield, Kirby Puckett, as well as Craig Biggio? and Jeff Bagwell, and the scuffer himself, Mike Scott. I got stuff I want to talk to Jim Deshaies about. We'll do that next right here on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.